Recently, I went on a retreat. And some of you may be familiar with that term. A retreat is where we go outside of our daily lives. We separate ourselves from the usual hustle and bustle of life and spend some time focusing on our relationship with the Lord. And there can be different kinds of retreats. Some retreats are more communal, where lots of people come together, there's lots of talks, there's time spent together doing different activities. Those kinds of retreats, like the Acts Retreat, allow us to encounter God primarily through the community and through each other. But the kind of retreat that I just recently went on was a five-day silent retreat. Now, some of you may be thinking, five days of silence? That would be awful. And others of you might be thinking, five days of silence? That would be wonderful. Father, you don't know my family. That would be great. But the silence isn't for its own sake. The silence is for the sake of being in communion, being in relationship with God, being able to hear the voice of God, having conversation with God. In the silence, everything is enhanced. Things that we would normally ignore become more evident, more obvious to us. Things that we would usually not notice are noticed a lot more easily when we're surrounded by silence, both exteriorly and interiorly. And God who speaks in the silence, God who speaks in a still small voice, can more easily be heard in the midst of silence. So having a conversation with God, talking to him and listening to him, is what we call prayer. It's back and forth. It's not just me saying a bunch of words that the church gave to me to say, but rather recognizing that I'm talking to another person, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, or all three together, that there's a relationship there, and that there should also be listening on my part. And so while I was on this retreat, I would share with God some of my concerns, the things going on in life, and then he would respond and answer different things that I would say to him. For example, I was praying with John 15, and in it, it says, remain in me and I'll remain in you. And so I asked the Lord, well, what do you mean by remain? What does that look like? And so I was just kind of pondering this, recognizing, okay, yes, if we follow the commandments, that's remaining in God, and then that allows him to remain in us. But isn't there more? What, how else can I remain in you? And the Lord gave me an image. He gave me an image of a beautiful crucifix, which was then replaced with another image of an oval rosary case that was slowly opening up. And along with these two images, the Lord gave me the knowledge, the understanding of what those images meant, that I need to go deeper into the mysteries of his life, the crucifixion, but also the mysteries throughout his life on earth. And in doing so, I get closer to him. In doing so, I can remain in him. And so prayer is a very important thing. And we hear about prayer. It's a theme in all of our readings in some way or another. In our gospel passage today, Jesus gives us a parable about two different people who are praying. There's the Pharisee, who is a religious leader, kind of like if you would think of a priest, for example, like they're supposed to be these good examples of prayer and holiness. And yet in this parable, the Pharisee is doing something rather odd, according to Jesus. He says that the Pharisee took up his position and spoke this prayer to himself. So he's not talking to God. He's just talking to himself. Even though he says, oh God, I thank you, he's not aiming his words, his thoughts, his heart towards the Lord. 
He's just boasting to himself. He's talking to himself, liking to hear his own thoughts or his own words. And what is it that he says to himself? I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. Now, tax collectors in the time of Jesus were people who were collaborating with the Roman Empire. So the rest of the Jewish people considered them traitors because they're taking money from the Jews and giving it to the Romans. Oftentimes, the tax collectors would also cheat their own people. They would collect more from them than they needed to, and then they would keep the extra for themselves while still giving Rome what Rome required. And so tax collectors were typically the bad guys in any of the stories that people would hear. And yet, in this passage, in this parable, Jesus does something different. But before I get to the tax collector, I'd like to focus a little bit more on the Pharisee. Notice how he was elevating himself. Well, I'm not like everybody else. I'm not like the rest of humanity. I'm better than them. I'm not greedy or dishonest or adulterous. He's being prideful and arrogant. He's elevating or exalting himself beyond reality. And he gives his reasons why he does this. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes on my whole income. And it's not that fasting or paying tithes is bad, but rather, what was his reason or motivation to do so? For him, it was his pride. He's showing off to the world and to himself how great he is because he does these things. And so he's so holy and everybody should think well of him. He wasn't doing these things for the right reasons. He wasn't fasting out of love for the Lord and growth and virtue. He wasn't donating his money through tithes out of love for God and love for neighbor, but rather he did it out of pride. And God, who is love, is not being shown through the Pharisee in this parable. The tax collector, on the other hand, takes a very humble position. He doesn't even look up towards heaven. He keeps his eyes down, and he's beating his breast. Now, that might be familiar. We did that a little bit earlier in this Mass. And actually, the reason we do it at Mass is because of this parable. It's a sign of repentance, a sign of acknowledging that we've made a mistake, a sign of knowing that we are at fault. And so we make that gesture just like this tax collector who was repentant of his sins. He recognizes that he's a sinner. He says so. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In humility, he recognizes the reality that he's made mistakes, he's done things wrong, he's sinned, and he needs God's mercy. And so he's not speaking to himself. He's speaking to the God of the universe. He's aiming his heart, his mind, his thoughts, all towards God. And so Jesus then reveals the big upset. He says, I tell you, the latter went home justified, not the former. Or another way of saying it, I tell you that the tax collector went home justified, went home saved, went home forgiven, not the former, not the Pharisee. And so the roles were reversed. Any Jew hearing this would be like, what? what? Why wouldn't the religious leader be the one who's the hero? Why is the tax collector the good guy? And Jesus explains, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If we think about the saints, they're very humble. They don't try to make themselves out to be more than they are, but they acknowledge the reality of God's love for them. 
They don't try to show off, but they allow God to work through them. And so God, through his church, after they pass from this life, exalts them. We have feast days and celebrations of the saints because they were so holy, because they were humble, because they were relying on God and not on themselves, because they knew how to pray and repent. And when we pray, we have confidence that God hears us. In fact, in our first reading, we hear about all of these different people that God listens to, the orphan, the widow, the oppressed. God is listening. He's eager to hear from us. But unfortunately, we don't often talk to him. Sometimes we end up just talking to ourselves, not really acknowledging that we're in the presence of God and that he is with us, but rather just saying a bunch of words, hoping for the best. And that's not what God wants for us. He wants a real relationship, a real friendship, where we not only speak to him, but we do something even harder. We listen so that we allow God to speak to us. In our second reading, we hear from St. Paul, who's talking to Timothy, and he's writing this letter, letting him know uh, that he is coming near the end of his life, but he's confident that he's going to be with God in heaven, that he will have the crown of righteousness. Now, we might think, well, is St. Paul boasting? Is he being prideful? Is he showing off? No. St. Paul has gone through a lot of suffering. St. Paul was uh, beaten many times, he was shipwrecked twice, he was left for dead, he was stoned. St. Paul persevered in the faith in the midst of difficulties and challenges. The confidence that he has isn't fake, it isn't phony, it isn't exalting himself out of pride, but rather it's the fruit of prayer and his relationship with the Lord. How can he have such confidence unless the Lord revealed it to him, that that's what his destination will be? that he must have heard the Lord share that with him, that he was close with the Lord, that he was united with the Lord, is evident also in the second reading when he says that when he was at his first offense, when he was on trial, everyone abandoned him. They deserted him. They left him. All his fellow Christians, all the people that were helping him, all gone. And I couldn't help but, when praying with that, think of how Jesus must have felt in the Garden of Gethsemane when his 12 closest friends were all deserting him. They left him. He was abandoned. But like Jesus, St. Paul was merciful and forgiving. He says in that letter, may this not count against them, may it not be held against them. Meaning, don't punish them for their weakness, Lord. He's praying on their behalf out of love for them. He's revealing the love of God active in his life through what he says. And so we can tell that there's a closeness there that St. Paul has, that he must be also listening to the Lord and encountering the Lord in prayer. And the Lord invites all of us to have a relationship with him, a relationship through prayer, learning to listen to God and not just speak to him. Yes, we are in relationship with the Lord through the community. We're gathered here to celebrate the Mass and encounter the Lord through the sacraments. But in addition to that, the Lord calls us to have a personal relationship with him, not only through the community, but even individually. So that through our relationship, through our friendship with him here and now on earth, we can be friends with him forever in heaven. And it's easier to hear the Lord when we cultivate a sense of silence. All too often we try to fill the silence, fill the void, play our music in the car when we're driving, 
turn the radio on, have the TV going, even though we're doing something else and not really watching so that we have background noise. Why? Why not allow ourselves to open up to the Lord? Why not cultivate a sense of silence so that we can more easily recognize and notice the Lord who speaks in the silence through God who's so subtle that he's like a still small voice when he tries to reveal himself to us? Why don't we try to listen to the Lord that we may better encounter him? What God has to share with us is way more important than what we have to share with him, though he does really much enjoy hearing from us and wants us to share whatever's on our hearts with him. It's really important for us to learn to listen because one of the most popular things God wants to tell us is how much he loves us. And we are creatures who are made for love, to be loved, and to love others. So we need to receive that love from the God of the universe who is love, so we can be filled with that love and allow that to spill over into all aspects of our lives. So let us take a brief moment now, in silence, to to try to quiet our hearts and our minds and encounter the Lord whom we are about to meet in the Most Holy Eucharist.